0: John chapter 15, the first 17 verses, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purges it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered, And men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that ye love one another, as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends." Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, that ye love one another. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 Our Heavenly Father, we pray thee now that you would pour out your Spirit and open up our hearts that we might appreciate and understand what things you, who have called us friends, are sharing with us this morning, that we might understand them. In Jesus' name we pray, Amen. Amen. Well, I want to bring your attention again to that verse 6 there of John chapter 15 where we talked about that. When you look into the Greek, you can appreciate what is happening there is that the works are being cast into the fire and not the um, saint. That This section of the Bible here is the Lord speaking with his whom he calls friends. He's speaking. It's an intimate relationship. It's an intimate environment where the Lord is speaking to his disciples. And by extension, he's just speaking to all of us so previously he'd been addressing you know two groups the elect and the non-elect and now he's speaking to the elect Judas departed in chapter 13 verse 30 Judas is not with him anymore in verse 16 here of chapter 15 he says very plainly I have chosen you in John chapter 17 verses 6 it's the same audience here John 176 he says I have made or I have manifested thy name unto the men Which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, that they and they have kept thy word. So again, he's speaking about those whom the Father has given him. We know what it says in John chapter six, that no man can come to the Son unless the Father which has sent him draw them. So the Lord is speaking to his disciples, and again I'm going to say by extension unto us. In verse 9 of John 17, he says, I pray for them, I pray not for the world. The world is not in view here the Lord is not speaking to the world he's speaking to the elect I pray for them I pray not for the world but for them which thou hast given me for they are thine and then over in verse 20 says neither pray I thee for these alone but for them also which shall believe on me through their word." so the Lord is by extension is not only what he's sharing here with the disciples but it applies to all of those who will believe the gospel through the preaching of the word. So by extension, this applies to all of the elect. So when you get to verse 9 and 10 here in uh, chapter 15, um, it might sound conditional, but let's read it here. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. So it sounds here that love is a function of obedience. And we should appreciate that the Lord is saying just as the relationship is between me and the Father, so it is between me and you. As the Father hath loved me, so do I love you. And we can appreciate that whereas Jesus and the Father are one, they're united from eternity past. They are three separate yet they are one. There's a two aspects of the love relationship which I think is set before us here and that we can appreciate. One aspect is the eternal, which is rooted in the union between the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Um, Verse 9a helps us to appreciate, as the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. So there's the unity of the Godhead, which we also enjoy as those who are in Christ and Christ being in us. John chapter 17, verse 21, he says, speaking of the unity, that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me. And I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. So there's a unity between not only the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, but the Father, Son, and and all of the Christians and the Holy Ghost. And so just as we are one with the Father because we are in the Son who is in the Father, so too are we one with each other because Christ is in you, Christ is in me, and... um, Because we are one with him, that makes us one with each other. And so, again, you turn the page, perhaps, over to 23b on John 17. He says that, And hast loved them as thou hast loved me. He's speaking about how the Father has loved the Christians, the saints, the elect, just the same way that he has loved Jesus, his son. So there's an eternal aspect of the Father's love for us. So we will talk about being chosen in God before the, chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, how God has loved us from, uh, well, from before the beginning. He's loved us from eternity past. In verse 24, the part B of that, he says, For thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. So if God loves the saints the same way he loves his son and he's loved his son from before the foundation of the world, he has loved you and me from before the foundation of the world. So we can appreciate the eternal aspect of love which exists between Christ and the elect. The second part of this is in in, uh, John chapter 15, verse 9. He talks about, um, as the Father hath loved me, so I have loved you. And then he says, continue ye in my love. Continue ye in my love. And so I ask the question, how can you not continue in a love That is eternal. In Romans chapter 8, verses 26, and um, I'm sorry, it's going to be verse 36. Romans chapter 8, it's going to be um, verse 35. Verse 35. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Verse 38, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from the love of God including you, you cannot separate yourself from the love of God. So we can appreciate the eternal aspect of the love of God. And yet we have this statement here about continuing in the love of the Lord. And so this is the other aspect of the love, which has to do with obedience and walking um, and abiding in Christ. Uh, Beginning of verse 9, he says, As my Father hath loved me, So have I loved you. So there is a component of love or the manifestation of love that is associated with obedience. And I think every parent uh, knows this. Every parent has an an opportunity to experience this kind of love that they might feel for their children. They love all of their children. Every parent loves all of their children. However, they have a closer relationship with a child that is obedient, and they're more inclined to place their arm around that child when the child is walking in obedience. And throughout the phases of life, that can shift from one child to another. There are times when one child is obedient, but perhaps when they hit adolescence or she, when they hit adolescence, they move into a more rebellious phase, and then you'll find your love is strained a little bit more with that child at that time, but then they'll come back into um, obedience later in life, and then you'll be walking in step with them again with your arm around them. And the Lord helps us to appreciate that occasionally we too need be chastened by the Lord. And that's a sign of his love too, but in a little bit different aspect here. He says in verse 6 of Hebrews 12, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. And so you can appreciate when you're walking in disobedience and you feel the chastening hand of the Lord, you should know that he is loving you. If you don't feel it, that's a very bad sign. Verse 7, If ye endure chastening, God dwelleth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? It's a sign of God's love. But if ye be without chastening, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. That would be sons of God. So we should appreciate that we move in and out of um, a sense of walking with the Lord, walking hand in hand with, with him, walking with his arm around us, because we might not be walking in obedience. Now, those that are married uh, can also appreciate this as well in terms of the spousal relationship. While we are walking in agreement one with another, one with our spouse, we are more inclined to express the love that is rooted in our hearts, more inclined to express the love towards the person with whom we are one flesh with because we're getting along very well. Now, both of these familial um, examples or analogies apply Uh, in the scriptures here because we are said to be the children of God and we are also said to be his wife. We are said to be his bride. So with respect to either one, we know that the scripture would tell children that they are to submit to their parents and wives are to submit to their husbands. God establishes very early on in the Bible, Genesis chapter three, that there's an authoritative familial structure for the family. However, as you go through the scriptures, you should appreciate that what God does desire is that the submission is willful, that it's a willful submission, that you have a desire to submit to your spouse. In Ephesians chapter 5, the Lord sets that before us. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Actually, I'll read verse 21 first because it's the same word in the Greek. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. That's how we behave one towards another. We are to submit ourselves one to another in the fear of God or in the reverence or respect of God. Verse 22, he says, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as unto the Lord. That's the same Greek word there. So you would willfully submit yourself to another saint just as a wife would willfully submit herself unto her husband. Verse 23, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Verse 24, Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ... So let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. So the Lord takes this analogy between the uh, relationship between the husband and the wife right to the church, because that's what he's talking about. It's always teaching us about Christ here. And so that should be a willful submission within the marital relationship or within the familial relationship between the children and the parents. In John chapter 14, verse 15, the Lord says, If you love me keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. So the appeal from the Lord himself is that we would be obedient because we love him, not because of um, a sense of uh, fear of chastisement or a fear that um, we will lose our salvation, but you would, um, which you cannot lose your salvation, of course, but you would, uh, if you love me, keep my commandments. Um, one of the commentators I read uh, put it in a way that I really appreciated is, what you hear in the church oftentimes is a satanic lie because he would, Satan would have a person believe that they must keep the commandments for justification. That's a satanic lie. Satan would have the Christian or the saint believe that they do not have to keep the commandments. And so it's obviously 180 degrees out of phase here in terms of what uh, what the Lord would have us to do. We know that by the deeds of the law, which is to say the keeping of the commandments, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law anything else is a satanic lie so for satan to convince a man that he has to keep the uh, commandments to be justified with god that is a lie it is equally a lie um, for satan to tell someone to tell the saint that they don't have to keep the commandments jesus has just said if you'll love me Keep my commandments. The Bible is replete with exhortations for the Christian to be obedient. Galatians 5.13 says that we are not to use our liberty for an occasion to the flesh. We had talked last week about 1 Corinthians 9.27 where Paul, speaking of himself, talks about keeping his body in subjection. He says, but I keep under my body and bring into subjection lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. The fear here he's speaking of is that he would not behave himself and that he would become an embarrassment to the church so the Lord would say, you know, I'm just not going to use you anymore. His salvation is never an issue, but he's not going to use him anymore. And I have seen in my Christian walk Christians that the Lord sets aside. And that should be a concern of every Christian that they would want to be used by the Lord throughout the course of their life until the Lord chooses to bring them home But that's going to require that you um, behave yourself um, and set a good example for those around you because you are being conformed to the image of Christ. Now, in Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, we can appreciate the commandments and the statutes and the law of the Lord. He sets before us here, I'll read the first four verses of Psalm 1. He says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seed of the scornful. Verse 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. So this should be our preoccupation, because when you're meditating on the law of the Lord, you're really meditating on Christ. And I think we can appreciate here that the individual in view here is Christ. However, um, I don't think that's something that you should... Um, Dismiss as though it doesn't apply to you. Like, oh, I know he's speaking about Christ. Well, no, he's speaking about you too, because you're in Christ and you're being conformed to the image of Christ. Verse 3 And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. So we can appreciate here that the meditation of the Lord, being obedient unto the Lord, bears fruit, Um, and that's very important. Um, So we see a relationship here between delighting in the law and bringing forth fruit. In Psalm chapter 40, um, verse 8, we read, I delight to do thy will, O God, yea yea, thy law is within my heart. And So we know that that, of course, specifically applies to Christ, but if the law is within his heart, and he's in your heart, then the law ought to be in your heart as well. So we should delight in the law of the Lord. If we go to Psalm 119, and I'm going to uh, read several verses there, because all of this has to do with appreciating the law of God and delighting in it. In Psalm 119, verse 11, um, we read, Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. So the psalmist is here saying, I have studied the Bible, I have read your word, I've memorized your word, I'm hiding your word in my heart so that I can be obedient unto you and that I might not sin against you. So impress those truths upon my heart. Teach me thy statutes. Um, Verse 16, I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. Verse 24. Thy testimonies also are my delight and my counselors. People often wonder what God's will is in their life. Well, God's word is your counselor's. If you read God's word, stay in his word, then you ought to know what his will is uh, for you, what his will for your life is. And you do that by reading and understanding and appreciating his word, and then, of course, asking him um, for guidance and counsel. Verse 44 through 48, verse 44 through 48 so shall I keep thy law continually forever and ever. And I will walk at liberty, for I seek thy precepts. There's great freedom in walking in, um, in obedience unto the Lord, which the Lord is speaking about in John 15. I will speak of thy testimonies also before kings, and will not be ashamed. And I will delight myself in thy commandments, which I have loved. My hands also will I lift up unto thy commandments which I have loved and I will meditate in thy statutes. So the person here is obviously glorying in the law of the Lord, glorying in his precepts and his statutes. Verse 77, let thy tender mercies come unto me that I may live for thy law is my delight. Verse 97, oh, how I love, oh, how love I thy law. It is my meditation all the day. One eleven, Thy testimonies have I taken as an heritage forever, for they are the rejoicing of my heart. Verse 113, I hate vain thoughts, but thy law do I love. 163, I hate and abhor lying, but thy law do I love. 165, great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. one last one, 174, the second half. Thy law is my delight. If the psalmist, if Christ delights in the law, should we not delight in it also? We who are one flesh with Christ. And the answer is yes. We should delight in the law of the Lord. It teaches us about who Christ is and what he did. And it teaches us about his righteousness, which he imputes um, to those who believe in him uh, by faith. So again... When walking in obedience, when walking in a willful, loving submission to our Lord, to his ways, to his statutes, to his precepts, to his commandments, can we not feel his love as though he has his arm around us and we are walking in his embrace? Will we not bear fruit? It's a rhetorical question. We will bear fruit. In John 15, 5, the Lord says that he is the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. So with this relationship of walking with Christ and abiding in him, we will bring forth fruit. Verse 8, herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit. And then down in verse 16, he speaks about it again, that God has ordained you that ye should go forth and bring forth uh, fruit. Now, I've given you another handout there that I want us to appreciate that the fruit that is set um, before us here, um, in Galatians chapter 5, it speaks of the works of the flesh, plural, and it has quite a long list of what those are, but it speaks of the fruit of the Spirit, and that's singular. The fruit of the Spirit is singular. And so on the far right-hand column, I have listed the fruit of the Spirit in the handout there. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, Goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. That's from Galatians 5.22. That is the fruit singular of the Spirit. Where does that fruit come from? Well, you follow that arrow down to the bottom and over to the left, I've referenced Hosea 14.8. The Lord says in Hosea 14.8, From me is thy fruit found. Christ is the source of the fruit. He says in John 15.1, I am the true vine. Verse 4, ye are the branches, the saint is the branches, Christ is the vine. So the love fruit over on the right-hand column, the fruit of the Spirit, that's the love of Christ. That's not a lustful love, that's not the love that unregenerate people might feel where there's a narcissistic element to it, a narcissistic component to it. It is the love of Christ in Second Corinthians 5.14. That's the love of Christ that the Christian has. And this he has, of course, by abiding in Christ. The second fruit, joy, that's Christ's joy. That's not just a joy, a happiness with the world, but that's actually his joy that is given to you. In John fifteen eleven, he says that, these things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you, that your joy might be full, so that the joy that the Christian is experiencing comes from Christ. John fourteen twenty seven. the Lord talks about giving us, us his peace. Not peace like the world knows, but his peace we can have. Long-suffering, that's a characteristic of Christ. You see that in Romans 2, 4, and on down the list. Gentleness, goodness, faith, and meekness. I did not find a cross-reference for temperance, but nevertheless, all of these things come from Christ through the saint because he abides in Christ, and then we get to experience love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. That's fruit that comes from Christ, not as the world might know it, but from Christ himself. So here we are in John 15, uh, verses 9 and 10. We read, As my Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. So... The Lord speaks here, again, about keeping his Father's commandments. And so those that would suggest the saint doesn't have to keep the commandments, you know, once they've been regenerated in terms of being obedient unto the Lord and abiding in him, was anybody, and I use that word generically, more obedient than Christ was to his Father. Before the cross, during the cross, after the cross, before he was manifest in the flesh, he was always obedient. So to um, suggest a legalistic bent to what the Lord is saying here is, is just not right at all. It's, it's counterproductive to what the Lord would have us to do here. As Christ is obedient at all times, um, so should we. Christ was ever obedient to his Father. Have we not heard the Father declare his praise of his Son when he said, "This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased and so, in the context in terms of what's set before us here, the context of there being a relationship between the outward manifestation of love, the Lord's declarative statement, and obedience, the call is for us to be obedient to the Lord, enjoying his Lord enjoying his love as he was obedient to his Father and enjoyed his father in that context. In John chapter 10, verse 17, the Lord says, John 10, 17, he says, Therefore doth my father love me, because I lay down my life that I might take it up again. Verse 18, No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment, Have I received from my father? Jesus willfully obeyed his father's commandment by laying down his life. No man took it from him. His father didn't take it from him. You'll recall in Luke chapter 23, verse 46, the Lord says, Father, into thy hand I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. Christ Christ was willfully obedient to his Father's commandment to lay down his life, and he did so. And he says here, my Father loves me. And so we can appreciate here that there's a relationship between obedience and bearing fruit. Again, Psalm 1-3, it speaks about bearing fruit in his season. What fruit did the Lord bear when he uh, laid down his life? You and me. The church is the fruit of Christ's work. And all of the things that we enjoy in terms of the love, joy, peace, and um, the things we talked about with respect to the um, fruit of the Spirit. We enjoy all of those things. It bore much fruit because he obeyed his Father's commandments. So we see this second aspect of the Lord's, um, uh, when the Lord's speaking of love here, the second aspect with respect to, there's an, a love relationship associated with obedience. Now, what's the result of obedience? John fifteen ten. In John fifteen ten, he says, If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love. Even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love, so the results of that is, from that handout which I've shown you already, we uh, His joy abides in us. That's verse eleven, verse ten of John. Here's we abide in His love, in verse seven and verse sixteen. He speaks about answered prayer. Now there's a relationship between answered prayer and our walking in obedience unto the Lord. In John chapter one, verse uh, excuse me, I'm in James. In James, the Lord wants us to appreciate, as our deacon read this morning, that um, we should remember who we are, and that uh, we should appreciate that as Christians, that we need to um, obey the Lord. In verse twenty-three, he said, "If any man hear the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass; for he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was." But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the word, this man shall be blessed in his deed. In other words, if you're obedient unto the Lord, your blessing is that you will have a closer walk with the Lord. And so we should appreciate, again, a call here that we just don't be hearers of the word, but we be doers of the word also. In John chapter 9, verse 31, along the same vein here, in terms of um, blessings associated with obedience, in verse 31, here, this is the context of the blind man that was uh, given sight. He says, now we know that God heareth not sinners. So people that are unregenerated, people that are, are sinners, God does not hear them. But if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. If any man be a worshiper him, and doeth his will, he heareth him. So there's a relationship here in terms of uh, being obedient unto the Lord and having the Lord answer your prayers. Um, we have covered this verse before, but I will mention it again. It's 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he heareth us whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desire of him. So again, the Lord sets before us here in appreciation that... Um, when you're walking with the Lord and you're inviting with the Lord, you can appreciate and understand his word, and then you can, um, then your prayers will be more consistent with the will of the Lord, and the Lord will answer those prayers. Um, talking to one of the brethren this morning, he's trying to get the Sundays off. Well, that's certainly consistent with the Lord's will that you would be here and worship him. That's what he desires. He desires that we would worship him in spirit and in truth, and so that it was an answered prayer, and that's a blessing to see those things. Um, in First John chapter 3, verse 22, again, the same thought here. He says, And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. I think you can appreciate how when you're walking in disobedience, the Lord is not going to answer your prayer. I mean, you need to repent. You need to get on your knees, ask the Lord for forgiveness. You need to work very hard to restore that relationship um, where you will be abiding in him, and then he'll answer your prayer. Um, so long as you're not praying to consume things on the lust of your flesh which James speaks about it. So with respect to obedience and the keeping of the commandments the Lord boils it all down to loving. And so in verse 12 he says, "And this is my commandment that ye love one another as I have loved you." In Romans 13:8 the Lord says, "He that loveth another hath fulfilled the law." In verse 10 of Romans 13, love is the fulfilling of the law. Galatians 5:14, for all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, that thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. We know what the Lord says in Matthew 22 when the lawyer asks him, which is the greatest commandment of the law. Well, he tells them that thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. All the law and the prophets hang on love, that we would love the Father and that we would love his children, love the saints. In Luke, we can appreciate that all the law and the prophets testify of Christ. And so what we see here is the Lord setting before us that the greatest example of love is where Christ, in obedience to the Father, lays down his life for his friends. He says that in verse 13, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And so we can appreciate the vertical aspect here in terms of his proof that he loves the Father because he's... um, operating in obedience and proof that he loved his friends for which he laid down his life for us. So there's a vertical component set before us here as well as a horizontal component of the love, loving of the Father and loving of um, um, our neighbors. Um, in 1 John chapter 3.16, the Lord says, Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. So again, just as I have demonstrated my love for the Father, so too do you demonstrate your love for me when you lay down your life for the brethren. And so if you were concerned about having to wash your brother's feet as an example of love, the Lord takes it much higher. We need to lay down our lives for our brethren. And let me share this with you. If we have really had a had a a real appreciation and an understanding of where we are going, you know, we'd be falling all over each other to lay down our lives because we'd be out of this miserable, evil world and be in glory with the Lord. So it's a good thing. It's good to read your Bible and appreciate what the Lord has in store for us. Now, I'm going to shift topics here for just a moment because he speaks about um, friends. In verse 14 and 15 of John chapter 15, he says, ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth, I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends. For all these things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. Again, this sounds conditional. Obviously, we are always the friends of the Lord. We are his eternal friends because he was the lamb slain from before the foundation of the world for us. He has loved us eternally. But again, we're talking about this component of friendship and love and the answering of prayers associated with our obedience to the Lord. As Christians, we should appreciate what a great privilege it is to be a friend of God. He calls us his friends. He tells us what he has done. He tells us what he is doing. And he tells us what he is going to do. And he tells us this through the scriptures and through the Holy Ghost. Only a Christian can understand the Bible. And I know that's a... a, it's, an, it's not an idea. It's a truth that a lot of people have trouble understanding. I tell people that all the time. You cannot understand the Bible unless you have the mind of Christ, unless you have the Holy Ghost. God did not write it in such a way uh, that you would understand it. He sets that truth before us in Matthew chapter 11, uh, verse 25. In Matthew 11, verse 25, the Lord says, He says, at that time Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. What thing has he he hidden? He's hidden the gospel. He's hidden the things that he has done. He's hidden the things that he is doing and he's hidden the things that he will do. Verse 26, even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. God the Father has deemed it good that these things are hidden from the world, but they're revealed unto babes. And he's speaking, of course, of us, his children. We are babes. Um, I know we're familiar with what it says in First Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, where it says that, The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Um, Jesus says in Matthew that the Lord has hidden these things from people. Our um, our deacon this morning uh, quoted from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, how the God of this world, Satan, has blinded men. They cannot see or perceive these things. Only Christ can shine the light of the gospel into a man's heart. Only God can reveal these things uh, to us. We have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit of Christ, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. And this, he says, just because we are friends. He has revealed these things unto us. In verse 9 of, 2nd, of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 he says, But as it is written, Eye hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. The people of this world do not know, do not understand, do not appreciate the glory that awaits the saint. Verse 10, But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. So we have an appreciation of what the Lord has done, what he is doing, and what he will do. And we have an appreciation as to where we're going to go. If you're looking for an example in Scripture, think of Genesis chapter 18 when the Lord comes and he speaks to Abraham. The Bible specifically says that Abraham was a friend of God. So after supping with Abraham... The Lord says, it says in verse 16, and the men rose up from thence and looked towards Sodom and Abraham went with them to bring them on the way. Abraham is abiding in Christ. He's walking with Christ. He's got a wonderful relationship with him. Verse 17, and the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham the thing which I do? The answer is no. He does not hide from Abraham the things which he does. And he does not hide from you and me the things that he does. He sets it forth clearly in scripture, the things that he is going to do in this world. So, as we Christians look out into the world, we should see the sovereign hand of God in the affairs of all of what appears to be foolishness, global foolishness throughout this world. It's foolishness from, my, from man's perspective, but not from God's perspective. Everything is going exactly the way He wants it to go. The COVID issue, the mass vaccine cards, the economic policies, the political turmoil we see, it's all going going according to God's plans. And seeing these things as Christians, because he's revealed this truth to us, we should rest in Christ. Our faith and our trust is in him and that everything is going exactly the where it should go. And what we ask ourselves when we look at the scripture is, well, I wonder where we are in this timeline thing. You know, if I open the book of Revelation, how close am I to the coming of the Lord? I find that interesting. Um, But in addition to that, looking at where I am in the timeline, I always ought to be asking myself is what does the Lord want me to do? My earnest desire should be to bear fruit for the Lord, fruit that remains. And so giving everything that the Lord has set before us today and taught us today, we should always be endeavoring to be obedient unto the Lord, um, which would be our manifestation of our love to him and would be a manifestation of our love for one another. And do as the Lord says, he closes here in verse 17, these things I command you that ye love one another. So we should love not in word only, but as we read in James, indeed also being ever obedient unto the Lord. And in that obedience, of course, is a manifestation of our love for him because that's what he says. If you'll love me, you'll keep my commandments. In other words, if you love me, you'll be uh, attentive to me um, and you'll be obedient unto me. Amen. Amen.